I'm ready to eat. I uh, know. I'm starving. Now Christina's single because she dropped poor Marvin. Oh, I've got a headache. Your feet are too cold. Why can't I do what I want? Because you're just seven years old. Hey, Jimmy tried to hit me. Keep your hands to yourself. Honey, I need you to get these books off the shelf. I don't have time to talk right now. Good, because I didn't need you anyhow. Why can't things just go my way? Everything fell apart today. This relationship is going nowhere. I'm walking out because I've had it up to here. I don't know why I get no respect. All the kids are gone. There's nobody left. I love you, dear. Want to go for a walk? What would they say if these walls could talk? Well, hey, it's so good to be with you today. I want to say hey to those of you who are worshiping with us online or are attending our West Campus. We are so glad that you are a part of our experience today as we keep going in this series that we began last weekend. And throughout this series, we have been using the metaphor of a physical house to look at how God intends some of the most important relationships in our life to work and, and function. We know that, uh, as we studied last weekend, that the foundation of the home from the beginning of time, God put together a, a husband and wife, and, and marriage is kind of the foundation that, that everything else is, is built on top of. Now, the very first friendship that we read about in the Bible happens to be between a husband and wife. And, and so marriage, in essence, is really the, the coming together of two best friends who promise to be uh, there for each other no matter what life throws their way. Now, we're all made for community. We're all wired for relationships, right? Uh, this past week, I was uh, walking out of Walmart, and I noticed that there was a uh, car parked next to me that had a rather interesting sticker on the back of uh, the, back win the, the, the back window, and uh, evidently, I, I just assumed that this car was driven by maybe a single dad or, or some guy that had given up on dating services and blind dates. I took a picture of it because I wanted to share it with you. Check this out. I guess the car was previously owned by his ex-wife or, or something, and he removed her sticker from the, the family tree there, and you think you've seen it all? That just means you haven't been to a Walmart down in Kentucky, okay? <laughs> We're all made for community, aren't we? And so we, we've been learning in this series that marriage, it, it's, never, it's never perfect. In fact, sometimes it's about deciding who am I going to fight with for the rest of my life because inevitably it will lead us to this place of, of disappointment. Marriage will at times be tense and it, 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 will, it will frustrate us at different moments in time. Now, we all have what is called, uh, we're going to call today an attic, okay? Now, an attic, this kind of complicates the whole marriage relationship even more. Your attic, you, you may not know what's inside of it, but it represents maybe the baggage you have from your past. It gives reason to why you act a certain way, why you feel a certain way in different circumstances. It, it's the source of maybe some patterns or, or maybe emotions of why you do certain things, why you don't do certain things, all right? We all have an attic, but, but very few of us really know what's behind the door. All right, so behind your door might be memories of your mom and dad arguing back and forth as you were trying to fall asleep as a kid, which might explain, which might explain why you shy away from confrontation. You, you, avoid, you avoid confrontation at all costs. 
Or maybe behind your door is a memory of a teacher humiliating you in front of a, uh, the, your class. And, and so ever since then, you've tried to go out of your way to prove yourself and, and to measure up. And so marriage is really the merging together of two different, of two different addicts. And it can get broken and, and messy at times. And so it's only a matter of time until you realize that, that he, won't, he won't fill your needs all the time. She will let you down. And if, if you're marrying to, to be happy, then that's not a very good reason because that, that, that's not why God created marriage. And, and so the question is, what's your next step when the story, when the story of your marriage isn't, isn't happily ever after? We're going to look at a, uh, a story found in the book of 2 Samuel. If you have your Bibles or Bible app, I want you to go ahead and turn there. There should be a uh, black Bible in the seat in front of you or in the seat below you. All right, we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 13. We're going to do something a little bit different today. All right, we're going to uh, read through a story real briefly and then press rewind on why some dysfunction and brokenness was revealed in this story, okay? Because what we're going to do is we're going to see how the attic in this family led to some pretty poor choices and, and led to a lot of destruction and devastation, okay? And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and jump to 2 Samuel. Words will be up here on the screen. All right, this is the story of a guy by the name of Amnon who wanted to sleep really badly with his stepsister, Tamar. All right, pick up with me in, in verses 1 and 2. Here's what we read. In the course of time, Amnon, son of David, fell in love with Tamar, the beautiful sister of Absalom, son of David. Amnon became so obsessed with his sister Tamar that he made himself ill. She was a virgin, and it seemed impossible for him to, to do anything to her. And so here you have this guy totally infatuated with his stepsister, okay? It's, she, she's all that, that he thinks about. He's thinking about her and fantasizing about her to the point where he makes himself ill, okay? And he, he can't cross that line. He knows that he knows that, that that is just totally out of the question. And so eventually he starts to act so strangely that people around Amnon notice that something is off about him. One of his frat buddies says, hey man, what's going on? You just, you aren't, you aren't yourself. And he tells him about his fantasy for his stepsister Tamar. And, and being the good, wise counsel that his friend was, he encourages him to follow his heart and, and to feed into those impulses. And then not only that, but gives him a plan of how, of how he could fulfill those fantasies and, and seduce her. And so here's how it went down. All right, Amnon faked being sick, so Tamar would come into his house and, and cook him a meal, a meal that he said would make him feel better. And as she served this dish to him, he pulled her close and he invited, he invited her to sleep with him. Well, she denied it. She said, you know, that, that's crossing some boundaries. I'm your stepsister. That, that is against what God says is right and true. It bring disgrace to our family name. But his impulses took over. And here's what we read happened next but he refused to listen to her. And, and since he was stronger than she, he raped her. Some of you know exactly how Tamar felt right here. The moment caught you off guard, you thought you could trust him, you, you, you never imagined that it could actually happen to you, but a few minutes and your life has changed forever. It's left you 
just totally traumatized. And, and that certainly was the case for Tamar. She, she left Amnon's house just crying and sobbing, trying to process what's happened. It's not making sense. She, she can't even think straight. And, and so as she's crying, she happens to run into uh, one of her other brothers, Absalom. And, and Absalom knew what happened, okay? He sees that she's crying and she's devastated. And yet here's what Absalom did. Verse 20, her brother Absalom said to her, has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister. He's your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. And Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a, a desolate, a desolate woman. Don't take it so hard, really? I mean, right before him stands his precious sister who's just been burnt and she can't even think straight. And yet one of the first things she's told is, hey, just hit delete. I mean, just look over it. It's not that big of a deal. Can't you just forget about what happened? I mean, how crushing was this for Tamar, right? It's tough to imagine anything worse than surfacing the courage to talk with someone about sexual abuse that you endured. And yet when you do surface the courage to be vulnerable like that, you're told by somebody you thought you could trust, well, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Just hit rewind and and as a family, let's just pretend that this never happened. And in spite of maybe what you've been told, I, I want you to know if this describes you, you don't have to fight this battle alone. Our healing never happens when things stay in the attic. You have to pull things out into the darkness, into the light, because that's where true freedom and healing can happen. Whatever the source of guilt and shame and and your insecurities might be, understand you you can't experience freedom when when you just try to ignore that they're they're not even there, but, but they are, and they may be controlling and influencing you more than you realize. Now, to those of you... To those of you who who would dare take advantage of someone who has been made in the image of God, I hope the words of King Jesus will cause you to tremble with fear. When Jesus says in Matthew chapter 18, he says, if you should take advantage of the simple trust of one of these children, my sons, one of my daughters, it is better for you if a boulder is tied around your neck and you drown in a lake than to face the doomsday that is coming to you. You see, the Lord is full of justice and wrath because he is holy and understand that the God we serve, the sovereign creator of the universe will not be mocked. Your secret is not safe because we're promised that a day is coming when everything hidden in the darkness will be exposed and it will be brought to light and it will go a lot better for you if you are the one who initiates who initiates bringing some of the stuff from your past out of the closet. That's precisely where grace and mercy for maybe what you've done can, can be found and met. And so for two years, Amnon, understand, thought that he got away with it. He, he thought that, hey, it, no, no, no one said anything. It, it, it's, as if, it's as if it never happened. And yet it catches up with him because Absalom, the root of bitterness just took over and he, he eventually got revenge by, by having Amnon killed. Now, all of us have what's called a shadow. We've talked about this here at Crossroads uh, for some time. Now, a shadow, okay, you, you may not know what your shadow is, but uh, at some point earlier in your life, you learned that there are certain behaviors and emotions and patterns that get praised and rewarded and are deemed as, as good, okay? At the same time, there are also different behaviors and emotions and uh, patterns that that you have that are deemed not good. Maybe you've gotten punished for it, you get criticized for it, you're shamed, you're humiliated. And and so from a very early age, we we learn to do more of of what gets praised while trying to suppress some of the emotions or uh, behaviors on our part. We try to ignore them, we try to hide them, okay? 
Now, the thing is, the more we try to hide, deny, or suppress them, the more they tend to ambush us and control us, and it ends up spilling, spilling out sideways. And so one of the best things that we can do is actually to, to not only know what our shadow is, but to keep it in front of us. Okay, for example, for example, my shadow are these lies that go like this. I don't measure up. I'm not good enough. I need to be successful, which may explain, okay, why I tend to find my worth and value in my job which also explains why I tend to be a workaholic, okay? That's just true about me, therefore I have to keep that in front of me, otherwise it'll ambush me, it'll end up blowing up some of the most important, some of the most important parts of our life. And you see, the thing is that this part of us, it has more power and influence over us than, than we realize that the, the source of brokenness is there. The question is, what, what, are, what are you doing about it? Several years ago, when my wife Savannah and I were first married, we were living uh, in a small apartment in Cincinnati, Ohio, and uh, we had been gone for the weekend, hadn't been there for a few days. We unlocked our front door, and immediately as we walked inside uh, our living room, this horrible stench uh, over, overwhelmed us. I mean, something was dead somewhere. We brought the dogs with us, so we knew it wasn't one of them, all right? But something just horrendous uh, was dead in our apartment. Well, the more we tried to find it, we realized it, it was coming from the kitchen, okay? And so we pulled out the refrigerator, nothing was behind there. We opened up the microwave, we pulled that out, nothing, looked underneath the sink. We couldn't find where this stench of death was coming from. Well, Savannah was sniffing around a little bit more and come to find out it, it was coming from the oven. We, we kind of narrowed it down from there and we pulled it out, couldn't find anything, opened up the oven, nothing was inside there. And, and so I went to get my toolbox and I began to open up the surface of the oven, the, the hood of the oven, okay? And so as I'm undoing the, the different bolts and I actually lift up the top surface of the oven, I'm bending down, I look up and I look inside the top surface of the oven and I am making direct eye contact with these clouded eyeballs of a dead rat. I mean, it's horrible. It, it's, it's claws or it's hooves were like grabbing this wire and whatever they're called. I mean, I failed biology. Okay. It's, Claws were grabbing onto the, the wires that were attached to the burner. And so evidently several days before when we were cooking macaroni or something, the rat was in there and it got burned, okay? And as a result, I mean, it just was a horrendous smell throughout our apartment. Now, the only way, the only way to get rid of the smell would be to remove the rat, right? I mean, th there was no other way to, to get rid of the stench that, than to actually take the rat and toss it outside. Now, can you imagine how crazy it would have been if I would have walked into the kitchen and said, you know what, just leave the rat in there. I got some Lysol, all right? I got some Lysol. Let's just spray down the entire kitchen and uh, that, that should cover it up, right? Or you know what, if it wasn't Lysol, do you think I could really convince my wife that, that the stench of this dead rat was actually a good smell? <laughs> I mean, it'd be pretty tough to convince some of our friends that would come over for dinner, hey, you smell that? That's actually a new candle from Bed Bath & Body Works, whatever that store's called, all right? <laughs> but trying to relate to you ladies, okay? No, I mean, that, that'd be ridiculous. The only way to actually deal with the stench of death would be to actually do the hard work of removing the rat. And you see, the rat was to our apartment what, what our attic is to our life. We, we, we know it's there. We may not know all the details or really get or understand the, the, the baggage that, that is behind that door, but it's controlling and influencing us more than we realize. And, and so we have some options when it comes to 
how, how we deal with it. Now, once we know Amnon's family history, the, the clearer we can piece together some of the dysfunction of, of his family, the details of his life. Amnon's dad, you see, David, was the king of Israel. Now, David's shadow, understand, was never having enough approval, okay? He too felt like, I'm not good enough. I've got to flaunt my, my achievements, okay? Because I, I want to seek uh, approval from those around me. When he was younger, right, his dad, Jesse, had overlooked him. One time, God sent a messenger by the name of Samuel to Jesse's house to select Israel's next king. Samuel walks in, says to Jesse, hey, bring to me all the sons that you have because I'm going to anoint Israel's next king. And so check out what we read happen next. First Samuel 16, Jesse had seven of his sons passed before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, I, I just don't have a good feeling about this. The, the Lord's not chosen any of these. All these sons you, you put before me, none of them are, are Israel's next king. And so he asked Jesse, are these all the sons that you have? I mean, have you overlooked somebody? And here's what David's dad says, that well, they're still the youngest. He's tending to the sheep. He, he's outside, but, but he... There's no way he could be the king, All right? I'm his dad. I, I know what he's capable of. I know what he can't do. And trust me, you don't want this guy leading our country. He is not Israel's next king. Now understand, this was the equivalent of David being cut from the basketball team, All right? This was basically his dad telling him, you know what? You don't have what it takes. You don't measure up. Your seven brothers, they're my favorite, but... But not you, you, you just don't make the cut. He, he wasn't good enough from his dad's perspective. Later on in David's life, we know that he surfaced the courage to, to fight this terrorist named Goliath. And, and whenever he said, okay, I, I'm gonna fight this giant, everybody around him started to mock him. And so meanwhile, as he's hearing these critical comments, his shadow is being formed deep inside. You're not good enough. You, you aren't strong enough. You, you can't do it, David. His brothers would mock him all throughout his life. David would later marry a woman by the name of Michael, and Michael, we know, was very critical of David and, and really made him feel less than and, and not approved of and humiliated. She, she just, she was contempt towards him. She didn't like who he was. She nagged him whenever he would come home from work in the evenings, and again, his shadow was being formed in, inside of him. And so no matter the stage of life that, that David found himself in, we see that at the root of David's attic, kind of the, the, the motivation behind all of his brokenness, all of his sin, the dysfunction of the family was rooted in fear. And I'd be willing to bet that the source of, of a lot of bad decisions we've made, the source of maybe our shadow is fear as well. Well, what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, it can be broken down, I think, into three different categories. There's the fear of failure, okay? The fear of failure may be why you work so hard. The fear of failure may be why you have to flaunt success. You want to look a certain way because you want to look as if you've arrived, right? Maybe not that one, but then there's the fear of rejection, okay? You want approval. You want people to like you. I mean, you live for a lot of likes, a lot of comments on the pictures that you post. And you want people to laugh at your jokes when you tell them you have to be the life of the party. Why? Because you don't want to be rejected, but then there's the third one, which is the fear of intimacy. Or you don't let people get too close to you, right? Or you, you just can't trust people because you've been down that road before and, and you got burned. 
Right, you, you think, boy, if, if people really knew who I was, if, if my wife, if my husband knew what was deep inside me, the thoughts that run through my mind, there's no way that he or she could love me. And so there's this barrier, there's this barrier between you and experiencing true intimacy. And reality is David could have built a pretty solid case for why some of the areas of his life blew up. I mean, his dad shouldn't have, have overlooked him when he was younger. His brother should have uh, encouraged him more. More people should have had confidence in him. His wife shouldn't have nagged him when he came home from work. He had no control, understand this, he had no control over what people did to him and the, and the things that he heard, but he did have control over how much he allowed the attic of his soul, the attic of his heart to hurt people around him. You see, what's really tragic about us is sometimes the brokenness that we receive is passed on to the next generation because we're unaware of how much it might be influencing our relationships. I mean, it's only a matter of time until you can only hide, deny, or suppress some of these things until it starts to spill out sideways. And, and that was certainly the case for David. Jocko Willink says on his leadership podcast, he said, Rome wasn't built in a day. We've all heard that before. But at the same time, Rome wasn't destroyed in a day either. It's a subtle, it's a subtle drift. And so at what point, at what point will you actually take responsibility for your past impacting your family's future? I mean, you would think that once David became king that he could finally rest. He had made it, he had arrived, he did measure up. And if there was anything that validated it, it was the crown, right? I have this position, there's no, there's no higher place for me to climb. And yet when David got there, the authority and the power that he had, it only magnified what was in his attic. Check out this perfect storm that happened at a point during his reign, 2 Samuel chapter 11. All right, in the spring, at the time when kings would normally go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and he walked out around on the roof of the palace. And from the roof, he looked down and he saw a beautiful woman bathing. The woman, the woman was very pretty. All right, now, David, understand, you have to understand, he wasn't supposed to be at the palace. Did you notice how in verse one we read that it was springtime and Samuel throws in that little detail when kings would normally go off to war. He was supposed to be out on the battlefield with his men, but David was getting comfortable. David was becoming entitled, okay? And so it's a toxic combination for a man, for us men to become entitled, for us to be over-controlling and then for boredom to happen because the next thing we know, he walks out on the roof and he's doing things that he swore he would never do before. He knew what he was gonna see when he walked out on the roof at night because it was custom back in ancient Israel to, to bathe in the evenings. He, he knew when he looked down what he was gonna see, okay? It's not like he, he pulled out his phone and didn't know what was gonna pull up, uh, what, what was gonna come up when, when he typed in something on Google and then he clicked on images. He knew very well, what, he was very well aware of what he would see and, and yet he was curious. He was hungering and starving for, for another chase, for, 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 more, for more excitement. And so he sees Bathsheba and he orders for her to come spend the night with him. They have sex, she consents, but she gets pregnant. He tried to solve the problem by bringing her husband home from war, but, but, they, but they didn't have sex, they didn't sleep together. All right, Uriah, we know, was 
present with his men mentally and he just couldn't justify sleeping in the comfort of his home when his guys were out on the battlefield sacrificing themselves for the sake of the country, which by the way, if David was a good leader at this point in his life, he he would have been doing that as well. And so his plan didn't work and and the more, the more David just tried to, to cover up the stench of death, the more he took out Lysol and tried to cover over what, what was actually happening, the, the rat was still there. The rat was still there. And, and so eventually he ordered for Bathsheba's husband to be killed. And, and so here you have this guy, understand, you have this guy who is hurting people because he failed to deal with the hurt in his own life. Hurt, hurt people hurt people, don't they? God sent a messenger by the name of Nathan to confront him by, by telling of a hypothetical story. And, and David realizes what he's done. He's not only committed adultery, but now he's murdered to cover over it. And, and we know that the God would, would forgive David, okay? But, but that had nothing to do with the natural consequences that the Lord allowed to happen to, to, David's, to David's family and to David himself. All right, sin ran its course throughout his, his lineage. And, and here's what Nathan warns the king, he tells David, all right, you're forgiven, but the sword will never depart from your house because you despise me and you took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own, that this is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm gonna bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your wives and, and give them to one who is close to you and he will sleep with your wives in broad daylight. You, you did it in secret but I will do this thing in broad daylight before all of Israel. And you see, it's precisely at this moment we learn that David would would eventually have a son who would bring such catastrophe to his family that that it would strike division between all of his children and his his house would be ruined. Now understand that God didn't cause the consequences of David's sin to happen. Oftentimes what God does is he allows the natural consequences of some of our bad decisions, some of our sin, our brokenness to run its course in our life. And and so one thing we need to remember, okay, when it comes to the attic of our life goes like this. Your attic doesn't define you as much as it influences you. David from this moment on was still known as a a man after God's own heart, but because because he didn't pull the rat out of the oven, it, it it led to some catastrophic consequences. And you see, the broken parts of your life, the broken parts of your life aren't the truest things about you. But when we confuse what describes us for what defines us, we fail to discover the root issue. Let me say that again. When we fail, all right, when we confuse what describes us for what defines us, we completely overlook the root issue. You see, we're rarely aware of what's behind the door of our attic because it's been our standard of normal for so long. It's just our expectation. It, it, it becomes a lifestyle. It becomes what, what, what naturally happens. It, I do this and, this and this happens. One of my friends um, had been married for about six months. I called him up and I just said, hey man, how's it going? How's marriage? And uh, I was surprised when he said, oh, let me tell you, it's horrible. I'm like, oh, great, you know. And he started listing off, being very negative, well, this and that, and you know, she doesn't do this. To, you know, I thought I would feel this way by this point in time. And I'm like, all right, j- just stop here for a second. Can, can you just be positive about one thing? Like, what's one positive thing about your wife? And, and here's what he told me. He said, well, I'll tell you this. She's very religious. I'm like, okay, great. She's very religious because every meal that she cooks is like a burnt offering. <laughs> 
they are no longer married. You know, I'm kidding. But here's, here's why he got to this place in his life, okay? He walked into this relationship with a certain standard because of how his mom had treated him growing up and how he saw his mom, how she served uh, his dad. And so without communicating, hey, th- this, is, this, is, this is my standard. Th- these are expectations I have. Let's talk about it. Let- let's compromise. Let's see if this is realistic. Instead, he, he walked into marriage believing that, that his wife was just going to naturally do that. And-, and so he was surprised to learn that that wasn't the case. And I don't, I don't know what's in your attic, but, but when you come face to face with maybe some side effects of what's inside, we really can respond in, in one of four ways. All right, first option is we can ignore it. All right, if you, if you just ignore it, if you act like it's not there, then it will just naturally go away. Maybe you heard a mom and dad, your mom and dad say that when you were younger. If, if you don't ignore it, then you can excuse it. Yeah, the, re- the reason why I punched a hole in the wall is because, let me tell you, I've just been so stressed out at work. And so rather than taking responsibility, you deflect, you point the finger, you, you blame, right? Maybe you don't ignore or excuse it, but, but you diminish it. Well, at, le- at least I'm not making, the, can you believe what so-and-so did? That This is when we tend to compare ourselves with someone who has sinned worse than us, who has maybe more of a broken story, and, and we, justify, we justify what's behind our attic door by making us feel better about ourselves because at least, at least it's not as dark as this person. And so we say things like, well, yeah, I, I've been looking at pornography lately, but let me tell you, at least I'm not having an affair on my wife. And so if it's not one of these three, then the other option is to confront it. And the truth is, if some of us don't wake up and change directions, one day you're going to look back and realize that the more you ignored, excused, and diminished your brokenness and sin, the more it dominated the direction of your life and the trajectory of your family. What will you do the moment you notice the broken patterns and choices of your children are simply reflections of what you failed to repent from and confront in your own life? Here's the thing, you reproduce who you are, not what you say. What gets reproduced are your behaviors, how you react, not necessarily your intentions. And so let me ask you, what could happen if you continue, avoid confronting the attic inside you? What could happen if you don't get your anger under control? All right, where's it going if you just accumulate more debt? Where does that lead? If you max out more credit cards? This past week, I learned that of all the children in the foster care system in the state of Indiana, 50% of the kids come from moms and dads who earlier in their life were also foster kids. At some point, the cycle has to be broken. Blaming others for certain choices doesn't matter when the next generation bears the weight of your mistakes. Isn't that right? Let me say it like this. I'm going to leave you with this. The cost of avoiding the attic is ultimately greater than the pain of opening the door. All right, the cost of, of avoiding the attic, which seems easier, it's much simpler, it's what everyone else is doing, but it's ultimately greater. You have yet to really see the effects of what would happen if, if you don't open the door. And yes, it, it'll be painful, okay? And let me just speak for myself here. The reason why I hesitate to face my sin, to to, to drag it out into light is because I think that it somehow defines me. Sometimes I fear that that facing what's inside will only leave me defeated, that it'll push certain people in my life away. 
And maybe the things in, in your attic right now are, are starting to, to surface. Or you're, you're never really satisfied. You, you got the promotion, but, but you just still feel empty inside. You, you drive what you've, you've always wanted, but, but it's just not enough. You want what's newer. You want what's faster, what's, what's bigger. You, you used to be in love, but, but now she, she just doesn't she just doesn't do it for you anymore. And it's like you and your spouse are just roommates. He always finds something maybe to be critical of you about. You dreamt that marriage together would be this blissful walk in the park, but it's been a rude awakening if you're honest. And maybe for some of us, you thought that you were gonna spend forever together, but she recently broke it off with you. You see, your sin and brokenness will either drive you towards Jesus, we talked about this last week, or what it will do is it will drive you away from Jesus because you're, you're responding to your shame. Now, the one thing, the one thing that stands between the pain you experience, whatever that looks like for you, and the pain that you pass on to the next generation is your repentance. Let me say that again and write it down. The one thing that stands between the pain that you experienced and the pain that you pass on is determined by your repentance. One of the most selfish, prideful things that you can do is to count on your kids to somehow break the generational cycle of sin and brokenness. There comes a point, there comes a point when you have to take responsibility and repent. Earlier this year, former CBS News anchor Dan Rather tweeted this, in my line of work, I've come across many people with something to hide, and I've found generally that those who lash out the most are usually those who are most afraid about having the truth revealed. Doesn't that describe some of us? After the prophet Nathan confronted David and he realizes what he's done, we know that there came a time when, when David, maybe somewhere in the palace, maybe he went off somewhere, he, he sat down and he just began writing. He, he opened up maybe what was like an ancient form of a, of a journal and he just started expressing to God his remorse, his sorrow for, for what he did. And today we refer to that journal, that entry as Psalm 51. Now, what's interesting is that whenever we, we read Psalm 51, we don't see David, we don't see him ignoring what he did, we don't see him diminishing it, we don't see him avoiding the addict that was revealed when, when he had an affair with Bathsheba and then he had Uriah kill. No, instead we see him taking responsibility for it. He confronts it and he's surprised that, that when he drags it out into the light, when he opens the door of his attic, that God's grace and mercy and forgiveness is what he experiences. Here's how he summarizes what he felt. He said, God, you do not desire sacrifice or I would offer one. You do not want a burnt offering. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart. Many of you right now, you know you need to open that attic door. Maybe even feel an ounce of conviction. Is he talking to me? Did, did he tap my phone line this week? Did he, did he know the conversation I had? But you know what? If that feeling you have, if conviction doesn't lead to action, it's totally pointless. Conviction is only as good as much as it, as it leads us to repent and do some things differently. And honestly, the one thing that will keep many of you from opening that attic door is pride. Nobody stands between you and God more than you do. Nobody stands between you and your spouse more than you do. 
Pride never leads to dependence. It never, it never results in, in us being desperate for more of God. Experiencing true brokenness is probably the only way that you'll surface the courage to actually open that door. Somebody said it like this one time, couples don't really fall out of love. They just, they just fall out of repentance. Repentance means acknowledging that, that you were wrong. It literally means to begin thinking differently, even if it feels a little bit weird at first, and you make a U-turn with your life. So before you were heading one direction, you saw where it was gonna lead, you, you realized the destination of where you were headed, and, and so you make a U-turn with your life, and, and you begin thinking differently, and, and you start backing that up w- with actions. And so you turn towards Jesus with nothing but open hands. And you do this, because you acknowledge and you know deep down, you don't have the power to change. You don't need more self-help books. You don't need more you know, uh, inner determination in order to get things right the, the next time. You don't need stronger, better motivations. You see, to not repent, in essence, is saying, I- I've got the power to do this myself. Thanks, but no thanks, I-, I have the power inside me. Now, I think when we do that, it's kind of like taking a... Uh, little power outlet right here. And when we fail to repent, we're based, maybe we wouldn't say this out loud, we wouldn't verbalize it, but, but it's, like, it's like trying to find power by, by just plugging into the power outlet itself. Now that's crazy, isn't it? There's no energy inside of here. No, the only way to, to experience power and for energy to be dispersed accordingly would be to take this and, and plug it into the wall. I'm not going to get more power if I just try to jam it harder and, I, and I go at it more. No, that's, that's not how it works. We receive power when we surrender because when we surrender and we say, I, I can't do this, I give up, that's precisely where God's spirit meets us. Romans chapter six, a guy by the name of Paul says that, hey, every follower of Jesus, if you've leaned your life on him, you actually have God living inside you. You have the Holy Spirit living inside you. Now, the role of the Holy Spirit is to actually make us more into the image of Jesus Christ. It's a fancy Bible word that goes like this, sanctification. It, it, he molds and shapes us to be more like Jesus. Okay, it's not an easy process, but how does this happen? Well, the Spirit does this by giving us power day in and day out to do what we naturally don't want to do. And, and so Paul goes so far to say in Romans chapter 6 that the same power that actually raised Jesus to life on that third day is the same Holy Spirit, the same power that lives inside each of you. And for some of us to open the door to the attic, it's going to require a lot of courage. It's going to require a lot of power because we can't be counting on ourselves to do it because we just, we just don't have that kind of strength. Chances are you, you don't know what's inside your attic. Here's what, I want, here's what I want you to do this week, okay? Here's some homework. And again, th- this is going to require leaning on the Holy Spirit to actually go go through with this and and follow through because naturally you're going to push back. You're going to avoid the light because this part of your life has maybe been in darkness for so long. You just, you you avoid it. You you, you squint, right? I want you to pull aside somebody close in your life. This can be a friend. This can be a best friend, roommate, okay, stepchild. This can maybe be a stepmom, stepdad, uh, maybe your spouse, but, but, but somebody who knows you well. And I want you to ask them two questions. Okay, write this down. All right. If you dare, all right? First question is, what, what are three things you like about me? What are three things that, that you, know, you, just, you just love about me, about who I am? And the second question is, what are three things that you would change about me? 
What are three things you'd change about me? Now, I've done this before and I've kind of talked about it from time to time. About a year and a half ago, I asked four of my friends, I put those two questions in front of each of them. And let me tell you, if you do this, you will be surprised at what your friends say, at what's revealed. Because when I did it, all four of the closest people in my life came back and said, Patrick, one thing I wish I could change about you is you get angry way too easily. I never saw myself as angry beforehand. That was a bit of a surprise to me. So I got really ticked off. (laughs) I haven't talked to them since. Showed them. But it's helped me keep my shadow in front of me because if I don't, it'll ambush me and it'll end up blowing up some of the most important parts of my life. That's a step you can take this week to open up that door so that the healing power of Jesus Christ can invade it. Let's pray, okay? God, you are good. God, you are all-knowing and you see what's in each of our addicts, what's a part of our past that we're not proud of. And, and what never ceases to amaze me, God, is, is that when I when I finally surface the courage to confront it and I, and, I, and I bring it out to light, you always seem to tell me, I, I know, I, I've seen it. And then you manage to also tell me that that's why you died and, and you can free me from it. And so would you give each of us, all of us who are listening right now, the power to not be ambushed by, by the brokenness of our past, but to pursue healing and freedom that, that can only come by receiving your power and opening up that door that we just naturally wanna, wanna keep shut and lock and, and ignore it. But, but that's, not, that's not what freedom is all about. We thank you, Jesus, for who you are. It's in your name we pray, amen.